G'day, I'm Rob. And I'm Dave. And you're listening to the Doctor Who Show, where... Oh, hang on, you're just back from holidays, aren't you, Dave? Uh, I am back from five weeks out of Melbourne, of which two were holidays, yes. Wow. And you went where? I went to Hawaii. Lovely. For our folks in the Northern Hemisphere, we're just coming out of winter, so of course Hawaii sounds like paradise to me at the moment. It was very, very nice. I only got the very tail of the uh, hurricane system, so that that was good. But look, you know, very nice, very relaxing, very refreshing. Um, I also got to indulge my Jurassic Park fanboyness, and I did the <laughs> Jurassic Park helicopter ride down through the valley and into the waterfall where the helicopter lands in the movie. And I also went to the area at the um, far end of one of the Hawaiian islands where they actually filmed a lot of those shots for the, the shot where the Tyrannosaur eats the Gallimimus and all that sort of thing. So yeah, I, I, I did do a bit of fanny stuff, but also had a very nice relaxing holiday. So good to be back. And thanks to Mike Solko for uh, keeping the seat warm while I was away. Well done. Absolutely. You did a great job. And I'll just, I'll just say, I've got someone at my work, hello Natalie, who is insanely jealous that you do all that Jurassic Park stuff. She is, she is the poster girl, I guess you could say, for that whole Jurassic Park was the Star Wars of a certain generation. She doesn't even know what Star Wars is, but Jurassic Park, massive. Yeah, I'm definitely part of that generation. I was 12 or 13 when Jurassic Park hit the screens, and for me that was that was that moment of sitting in the cinema and going, wow, this is a whole new generation, a whole new thing. It, it, it was for me, seeing Jurassic Park was what I imagined seeing Star Wars was for yeah, the generation above mine. So yeah, really, really excited to do that. Yeah, awesome stuff. Now, we have got loads to crack through in this episode because, as I was about to say earlier before I uh, launched into that whole Hawaii spiel, this is our Hartnell episode, Dave. You're finally getting your Hartnell episode. I genuinely was getting a bit excited this afternoon as I was <laughs> putting the finishing touches to my notes, but we'll we'll talk more about Hartnell later. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, very, I'm actually very excited to be talking about my favourite Doctor. So, yeah, let's let's crack in because not only that... Doctor Who is back in a week. I, I know, isn't that insane? It, it is. It's it's madness. It feels like just yesterday that we were saying there's no news, there's no leaks, there's no press announcements. But the last probably four weeks, we've just been slammed with, with Doctor Who, and, and we're now in that kind of horrible darkness before the dawn moment where everybody's excited. Everybody's passionate, but no one has any actual Doctor Who to talk about, so they're talking about everything but, and getting angry and having fights about speculation <laughs> and guesswork, and it's, guys, relax, it'll be on our screens in a week. Yeah, we've got a few news stories about it, and we'll crack through them pretty quickly, but then something a bit longer in our mini topics that I want to discuss, and it comes straight from the top, straight from Chipnell. Cool. Well, look, yeah, we will crack into it, I mean, and, and to make the serious point, Given that Doctor Who actually will be back in a week and we'll be watching a real episode so we can have real opinions about real scenes and real performances, we're not going to dwell too much on the speculation and the fan arguments and stuff because, yeah, before you, can, before you know it, we'll have real stuff to talk about. So let's, let's talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, just to talk about uh, the local experience, I guess, Dave, Monday, 8th of October, it's back. 5.45pm on ABC TV. It's like we're back in the 80s. It, it is. It's like I'm eight years old again watching the McCoy era, uh, which famously was put out at 5.30 on the ABC because nobody cared about it anymore. It was, it was just sort of put out with, you know, Degr Degrassi Junior High and the Cities of Gold and, 
and Press Gang and all the other the other sort of kids TV shows. It is a bizarre choice, Rob. Now I'm a big fan of Doctor Who moving to the Sunday nights in the UK. Mm. I think that can once again be event viewing, can find an audience. I'm I'm a really big fan, and I don't begrudge the BBC moving it at all. That obviously has a, a flow and effect for Australia, but that's not the BBC's problem. No. But what the ABC is doing here is utterly bizarre. All the viewers who need to watch Doctor Who the moment they they physically can will be watching it on iview anyway. So the the ABC will release it on iview in Australia at the same time as it's being broadcast in the UK. So sort of five six a.m. in the morning. Uh, that's fine. Some people will wake up early and watch it on iview. I think I'll wait till I get home from work on the Monday. But that's that's fine. We can rush home and do that. iView lets us do it. Who's therefore going to be watching it at 5.45pm? Like, dedicated fans who have to watch it as soon as possible will have iViewed it. And, and nobody's home at 5.45pm. Oh, look, I know. I mean, if I don't get up early and watch it that morning, you talk about watching it on iView later that day. Yeah, I'll be watching it on iView after it's actually screened now. I'll be watching it on like Mondays at 6.30 or 7 o'clock at night. You know, it's already screen- <laughs> screened at that point. Uh, it's a crazy time. It, it, it is. I don't understand who this is aimed at. I, I get the ABC is going to struggle to put it on in prime time on Monday because M- Monday sort of for about the last 40 years in Australia on the ABC has had that, that you know, line up. You have the news, the 7.30 report something and then you have four corners and q a which for our uk listeners that's like having panorama and question time back to back on a on a, on a monday evening and it, it's it's you know big deal viewing they're not going to move that but we have abc2 yeah and we have tuesday night so anybody who has to watch it instantly can watch it on iview everybody who's just going to watch it as a casual viewer when it's on could watch it on abc2 or watch it on tuesday night or wednesday night i, I don't get why they're rushing to put it on free-to-air, it makes no sense to me at all. But I guess I don't care because I'll be watching it on iView. As you say, though, after broadcast, which is really weird. Yeah. And look, the only thing I will say about this time slot is I've been thinking for a few months now that this uh, series could skew a bit more kid-friendly. And certainly at that time slot, you know, I think in the UK it will be on later, but if they're going to play it at 5.45 here, I'm wondering if it is more of a kid-friendly series this time around. Look, it could be a very deliberate decision to put it in that kid time slot, but a lot of people are not home from work at 5.45, so yeah, maybe you're right. I guess we will know more in a week. Mm. Moving right along, and this isn't Series 11 related, um, (laughs) it looks like the next Blu-ray set we get after the Davo set, which of course I'm very excited about, could potentially be Season 10. Now, this comes about, Dave, because you and I belong to an Australian uh, Doctor Who fan group on Facebook, and one of the chaps there had written to Roadshow, who distribute the DVDs locally, to ask about, I think, DVDs that were out of print or what was coming down the pipe. He had a few questions for them. And they just replied and said, yeah, look, here's our schedule. And on it, there was the Davo stuff, but there was also Season 10 Blu-ray, you know, Collector's Edition, not only that, though, Dave, but they also mentioned the Wheel in Space is coming as well. And I thought, good gravy, we're on to something here. You know, not only are we getting pretty much confirmation that the next box set is a Pertwee box set and it's season 10, but it looks like I would say they've reconstructed Wheel in Space. I don't think they've, they've found it. 
I think it's a reconstruction um, that they did for the BritBox service over in the UK, and it looks like they might be dropping that sometime in 2019. Yeah, these are very exciting little tidbits. It makes a lot of sense that the next Doctor to get a Blu-ray release would be Pertwee because he's got five seasons to get out. He's a very popular Doctor. His, his seasons have actually got quite a number of episodes that would lend themselves well to a to a box set in the way that I think you know a McCoy box set of 14 episodes wouldn't quite work as well. It's in colour. And given that, season 10's a really cool choice. Look, I know I would love season 7. It's my favourite season. But... I think that, I mean, you know, Spearhead from Space has already had 47 releases. <laughs> the other stories, there are issues with the colour that might take a bit more time and money. Uh, likewise for Mind of Evil in Season 8. But Season 10, is, there's no bad story in Season 10. That is five really cool stories and a couple of real good classics like Frontier in Space, The Green Death, The Three Bloody Doctors. <laughs> exactly. I mean, Mike Solko and I, for people who heard us last month, were saying, oh, it's probably Season 7, precisely for the reason that, hey, they've already got the Blu-ray treatment on Spearhead from Space, so they don't have to do it again. The previous two releases have been uh, the first season of A New Doctor, it all sort of made sense that it would be season seven, but no, it looks like it's ten. Yeah, I, I think it's a really cool decision. They're great stories. Carnival of Monsters is fantastic. Planet of the Daleks, look, it's not the best Pertwee or the best Dalek story, but it's a lot of fun. Mm. Uh, um, presumably they'll have to use the cleaned up episode uh, three, yep. which is which is fine. Uh, no, that'll, that'll be a really cool box set, and yeah, I'm looking forward to that one if that comes true. And The Wheel in Space could be a really interesting release as well. I've often said that the problem with the wheel in space is that some of the best episodes are not uh in existence and i think it will go up in people's estimation if they can see the whole story episode one with the servo robot and the adventures on the silver carrier episodes mm. four and five where the cybermen actually invade and take over the wheel i think they're the best ones out there and this this could be a really uh, good fill-up for a story i'm quite fond of i think so too excellent well we'll keep chugging along then because we have got a lot to do one thing that we did want to mention about the upcoming season of New Who is there have been multiple stories, and I saw another article quoting Chris Chibnall again this morning, confirming that in the next season there will be no returning monsters, no River, no Missy, no Strax, no Daleks, no Cybermen, none of that sort of stuff. It's all going to be new and original. And I say fair enough. I say fantastic, Dave. I think this is <laughs> wonderful. And finally, it puts paid to that rumour that people still repeat, oh, they have to have Daleks because of an agreement with the nation estate. No, people, that's just a myth. <laughs> and for once, we're not going to have bloody Daleks. Yeah, look, I'm very comfortable not having River or Missy or Strax. It's, it's well known. I'm not a particular fan of any of those, although I think Miss, uh, Missy had a couple of good episodes and River had a couple of good episodes. But... Yeah, the Daleks and the Cybermen is an interesting one, and my view remains that you only use the Daleks or the Cybermen if you've got a good story to tell. And mm. the classic series has been guilty of this as much as the new series, Rob, where someone will say, just go write me a Dalek story. Well, well what Dalek story? I don't care, Eric. Just go write a Dalek story. We need Daleks this season. Yeah. That's not how you do it. If somebody comes to Chibble and says, I've got a really cool Dalek story. I've got a really cool Cyberman story. It goes like this, boom, 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 boom. And Chibnall goes, yeah, that's a great story. Okay, we'll use the Daleks. Now go write that. Great. But if no one's pitching that, you don't put them in and force them into something where it's not going to work. And and it could well be that when we see season 11, we go, God, there's no way you'd put the Daleks in this. It would just be so awkward. So I say fair enough. 
Yeah, certainly new who has skewed newer viewers into thinking that these monsters have to turn up all the time or something. In fact, there were there were people on the Facebook group saying, "Oh, you've got to have Daleks, you've got to have Cybermen. This is what made Doctor Who Doctor Who." And I was like, "You realise Cybermen didn't turn up for all of the Pertwee era, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, and, and most only of the once Tom in era. Tom Baker, yeah, and he's yeah, yeah. the longest Doctor. You know, it's not like you have to have these guys turn up. In fact, it's I would rather they are used sparingly. So I'm." all over this i think it's great if uh Whitaker gets her second series and probably a third series i think she'll meet them eventually and i think it'll be very exciting but for the first first outing yeah let's let's just see something new for once i'm i'm all behind this i think it's great yeah and david didn't see the daleks until what his third last story yeah exactly right i'm sure that jody will meet the daleks at some point in her very long run Oh, absolutely. Heck, who knows? She might even have a little flashback to Daleks in this series. You know, it could be Chibnall sort of, you know, stretching the truth a bit. There isn't a Dalek story, but maybe she'll have a dream about them or something. We'll see them anyway. Who knows? Who knows? (laughs) All right. We promised we wouldn't go too deep into series 11, uh, at least until our mini topic. So I'll move right along and say Christopher Eccleston has a memoir coming out next year, Dave. He does indeed, and I'm very curious to read this one. There's not a lot of actors whose memoirs I would uh, go out and grab, but I think Eccleston, if he if he is true to his personality, could, this could be a really interesting book. Yeah, I can only think of a few that I've uh, enjoyed reading over the years. I think My Wicked Wicked Ways by Errol Flynn would be up there. Um, but this one is, yes, I think he's going to dump on the show not in a bad way i think he's just going to reveal what actually happened and i think his little dropping nuggets over the last year or two about what went on after he was silent for so long might be a precursor to this book having everything in it at least i'm hoping so yeah look i think it could be really interesting but also some of the films he's done it's known that he was quite disappointed with how they turned out how they thought too and <laughs> You know, I don't know that he's necessarily going to dump on everyone because I assume he still wants to work in Hollywood after this comes out. But, yeah, potentially there could be some insights in there and um, I'll wait to see what the reviews say and whether it is bland or, you know, not not tell all, but tell something. And uh, if it is tell something, I will buy it. If he does the uh, the voice on the spoken uh, version of it, uh, I might get that instead of the book. Oh, I hadn't considered that, but yeah. now I am. Yeah. I think that'd be all right. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Another quick piece of news, Rob. No real details, but I thought it would be fun to mention. Someone somewhere, we don't know a lot of details, is pitching another K-9 series. Mm, Great. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Look, I just find it really interesting because this would be the, what, fourth spin-off to involve K-9? I mean, we had K-9 and Company. He turns up in the Sir Jane Adventures. We had the Australian Kids K9 series, and now they're looking to do another one. I mean, that's pretty impressive for a, you know, a, a, a last-minute addition to the TARDIS back, what, 30 years ago. I'll, we'll watch this space and see if anything comes of it, but I thought a few of our listeners might be quite excited to hear that. Oh, there will be for sure. There are people who adore K9. Um, personally, he bores the pants off me. I never liked K9, not even as a kid. Um <laughs> And I, I couldn't be less interested. But for some people, this is absolutely amazing stuff. So, yeah, happy to report it. 
And finally, Dave, for our new segment, there is a new new trailer for Series 11 of Doctor Who. I thought it was probably just worth mentioning, briefly at least, it looks big, it looks colourful. There is that kid-like element to it with the way the Doctor's narrating it about, you know, getting around with the pals and all that sort of stuff. Um, it's interesting. What did you make of it? I thought it was fine. I thought it was very typical of, of trailers in 2018, the style, the tone, the music. I was just more amused by the fact that the people who put together these trailers, it must be a horrible job because they are on a hiding to nothing because if they show, you know, very sparse and suggestive but nothing like that, then you get a whole bunch of people saying, they showed me nothing. They've clearly got nothing to show. It's going to be terrible. Damn them. Give me something to get excited about if they show actual scenes from the show or anything like that, how dare they spoil it for me? They're evil. They're bastards. Uh, <laughs> you know, you know that that's going to be the reaction whenever you do. The one thing I will say, though, it looks as though a lot of cash has been spent on this season. Mm, yeah, the special effects, are you thinking? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and the location work. and Yeah, it looks it looks good. It looks very good. Um, but again, I just can't get past this idea that it's very big and colourful and just could be for, for kids, which isn't a bad thing. We were all kids once. Uh, yeah, look, it, it, you, you're right. But that said, you think of something like the pilot uh, last year. That was very big and colourful as well. Yeah, that that's very true. That's very true. So, yeah, I'm, I've been saying a lot on social media lately, Dave. This series could go one of two ways. It could be really, really good or it could be really, really bad. And I really don't know which way it's going to go. I have absolutely no idea what to expect from this. I don't know what tone it's going to be. I don't know what sort of style it's going to be. I don't know whether it's going to be earthbound or not earthbound. Or I, well, I, I know so little. I think it's going to be new. I think it's going to be fresh. I think it's going to be different. And I'll know if I like it in a week's time. Mm, well, maybe even sooner when we get to our mini topics. Maybe, maybe. But, yeah, look, as I say, a lot of people are getting very worked up about different aspects of the new season my real thought is, guys, chill. You'll have the real thing in a week. Yeah, Just relax. exactly right. Shall we move on? Uh, yes, yeah, so only one mini topic each this month, Rob. And I wanted to mention our friends at the At Doctor Who Novels Twitter feed. Absolutely. Now, I've mentioned this a couple of times where there's a Twitter feed dedicated to finding the best Doctor Who books ever. And it's been going for months and months and months, and I'm a regular voter, and they've had all the preliminary rounds where different books we put against each other, and it's like a, like a tennis open. It's all being weeded out and weeded out and weeded out until you get right to the top. Now, about a month ago, on the non-fiction side of the draw, uh, the writer's tale won that category, defeating the discontinuity guide. What an interesting matchup. <laughs> Really interesting matchup. I confess I voted for the Discontinuity Guide just because I'm so fond of that book. It's <laughs> so funny and so exciting and so so new when it came out. One thing that really interested me, though, was that the House Stammers Walker books, like the 60s and the 70s and a couple of others, they did all right, but they got eliminated much earlier than I thought they would. And it just shows, you know, 20 years ago, they were it. They were everything. Yeah, and I think they're still pretty good today. They're damn good today, but yeah, they, they didn't quite get as far as um I thought. But I appreciate why the writer's tale got through to the end. I mean, that's a really insightful and interesting book. Uh, so yeah, that was interesting. But the finals for the fiction section are almost over. And I want to just mention this to some of our listeners, because I think the choices are really interesting. So the top eight quarterfinals, 
the cave monsters versus the five doctors mm-hmm. and the cave monsters won. Yeah, see, I don't get that at all. I, I totally get that. Well, the, the cave monsters is my favourite novel. Um, I, I was surprised the five doctors went so far. I mean, it's a lovely story that people have fond memories of, but it's not the most exciting of books or like it doesn't go beyond the story that much but it made it into the top eight it's comfortable though it is very comfortable that is true in quarterfinal two the infinity doctors was defeated by pyramids of mars see i wouldn't even expect many people to have even read the infinity doctors you know it's great i found it very exciting the first time i read it and, you know, trying to work out even who the Doctor... Which Doctor are they talking about in the Infinity Doctors? It was like he was sort of McGann because he had a shaved head, but then he was like a guy who hadn't left Gallifrey, if I'm recalling the story correctly. Mm-hmm. So what was it like a young Hartnell with a crew cut? What what was going on? You know, I love that book, but I don't expect many people to have actually read it here today in fandom. No, and, and it was the only one of the BBC books to get through to the quarterfinals. So it did well, it represented its range, but... Pyramids of Mars did win through, and I, I get that because Pyramids is a uh, very good novelization of a very good story. But it's got that prologue and that epilogue and that extra little bit bit of love and detail that I think makes it appeal to people. Mm. Uh, probably the biggest matchup was an exciting adventure with the Daleks versus Remembrance of the Daleks. Yes, now they're they're very two differently written books. Very differently written books. We've got the one that kicked off the whole range in the first place versus the book that I think is kind of acknowledged as being the one that really started that second golden era of the Tiger books and set up that whole sort of more detailed and depth McCoy era and then you know, on to the new adventures. And Remembrance of the Daleks actually won what I think was a bit of an upset. Yeah, look, uh, it, it's hard to say why precisely. Maybe it's just that more people enjoyed the tv episode so they just voted for the book even if they haven't read it (laughs) or you know i just can't imagine today in modern fandom that many people have even gone back and read the first daleks book you know because it is a very old book it is written in an old way too true but it does have a lot of fans who really really love what it does Mm. but no remembrance got through and in the final quarter final uh the only virgin book to get through to the top eight was human nature Oh, that's a good one. Uh, and that came up against the Web of Fear. Interesting. And in a very tight result, Web of Fear won with 51%. You know, based on what all this stuff that you're telling me, I think there must be a lot of older fans who subscribe to this Twitter feed. I, I don't think it's newer fans. Yeah, look, that could definitely be the case. But good to see Terrence Dix had three entries into the top eight. Well... It's like when the US goes to the Olympics, they stack it with so many people, they can't not get some results, Dave. <laughs> Look, that is true. So in the semifinals, the Cave Monsters, I'm very pleased to say, defeated the Web of Fear. Mm-hmm. Okay. And Remembrance, I, I think in what most people would have expected, defeated Pyramids of Mars. Fair, yeah. So as to who won between the Cave Monsters and Remembrance of the Daleks to be voted the best Doctor Who novel ever... Well, I think that the Doctor Who novels Twitter feed deserves some traffic, so I'm going to tell you to go and have a look and find out there. Mm, very good. It's a very good feed. And uh, I was recently talking to the, the fellow who runs it about getting some uh, some books sent over from the UK to me, but the postage ended up being so outrageous we didn't go through with the deal, but a lovely bloke behind that feed. Yeah, absolutely. Really good, really engaging, and I hope that uh, 
something more comes of that feat afterwards. But yeah, I've really enjoyed it and I hope you have a look and check it out. Alrighty. Now, before we get to Hartnell, Dave, I'm going to do one more Series 11 thing, and I think this is this is well worth it. Um, the Radio Times often does light and fluffy clickbait stories uh, about Doctor Who. We all know that. Uh, but in this one, Chris Chibnall has actually written his manifesto of sorts, his top 13 reasons to watch Series 11. And I think there's some interesting nuggets in here. So I thought I'd rattle through each of them and uh, give you a chance to uh, just get your reactions because you're, you've been a bit more uh, stepped back from Series 11 than me. So some of these uh, facts could be new on you, could be new mm-hmm. to our audience as well. All right. So let's rattle through them. Uh, number one, you don't need to know anything about Doctor Who. This is a pretty standard one. I think uh, Chibber says, if you've ever seen Doctor Who before, the first episode is a perfect place to start. You don't need to know anything. Start here will take you by the hand. Um, and you'll you'll love Jodie Whittaker's fizzing, funny, smart Doctor. Uh, look, the whole concept of the series is to get some new viewers in, to regenerate the viewers. The, the, the moving time slot says that, and... That's how it should be. You should Doctor Who should always be accessible, just like spearheading space was, just like Robot was, just like the Twin Dilemma wasn't. I, you know, this, <laughs> this, this this will be a good start. I, but but Rose is the template there, and yeah, I, I think that's a good thing. Number two, and I think you'll like this one, Dave. Each episode will be a new adventure. The series is made up of ten standalone stories. Every episode is a complete story. The settings range from present day through centuries past, alien worlds and spaceships. Each week is a new treat. Did I also mention monsters? That's very cool. Mm, I thought you might like that. Yep. There, there has been some speculation that this series is basically going to be um, broad church in time. <laughs> but this 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 sounds like it's going to be what I'm after: fun adventures in space and time. Bring it on! Yeah, absolutely. Number three, Bradley Walsh is a proper star. He's playing Graham O'Brien, one of three new characters who are joining the Doctor on her adventures. Everything Bradley does, he excels at, from quizmaster to singer and to being one of our best actors. He's even managed to conquer Instagram this year. I cast Brad in Law and Order UK a few years back and have wanted to work with him again ever since. Audiences love him. Now he's fighting aliens and both of us couldn't be happier. Yeah, okay. Producer says his actor is good. <laughs> Moving sure. on. Yeah, um, look, I mean, you know, I have really little knowledge of who Bradley Walsh is. After, after his casting, I did check him out in an episode of Law and Order UK, but... I'm totally indifferent there, and the producer's not going to say he was terrible, so yeah, whatever. All right, so in a similar vein, number four, he's not the only one. Two of Britain's brightest young stars, Mandip Gill and Tosin Cole, appear too. They play Yaz and Ryan, uh, and they'll encounter a host of amazing guest stars. Good. Good. (laughs) Number five, here be monsters. The Doctor and his friends will be fighting monsters, solving mysteries, righting wrongs, just as they've done for five and a half decades now. You'll laugh gasp and your kids might hide behind the sofa very good good number six again again, he's not going to say it's bad is he (laughs) that's true number six the doctor's a woman and that's okay the doctor is one of the television's most brilliant and enduring creations the doctor will still be the same mercurial funny strange contradicted character an adventurer in time and space gathering up friends and solving problems by thought and wit rather than punches and violence if you're like the crew uh, who work on the new series just a few seconds with jodie whittaker's lively warm funny super smart doctor will have you wanting to follow this doctor to the ends of the universe dave well again that's that's lovely to hear and I'm, i look forward to seeing how jodie does as i say i'm going into her with a very blank slate and no expectations because i've never seen her anything before so <laughs> that'll be interesting but it's really good to hear chibnall 
actually talking her up and talking her up in terms of the legacy of Doctor Who compared to some of these faceless BBC officials in the last few weeks who were kind of like trying to big her up by dip, dumbing down the others. Like, forget about those silly old doctors we used to have. Our new one's really cool. Like, no, dude, you don't have to knock down the other 12 to make 13 good. Oh, gosh. Wasn't there one in the last 24 hours of us recording this episode where the journalist said something like, you know, she's replacing Peter Capaldi, who admittedly audiences weren't all that into. And it's like, what? <laughs> yeah, look, you can, you can debate the Capaldi legacy in terms of ratings and whatever. That's fine. But I think a lot of people who watched him liked him. And regardless, you don't have to knock him down to make Jodie better, you BBC nitwit. Exactly. So, yeah, good to hear Chibber's talking her up. Okay, number seven, and I, I was quite excited by this one, Dave, and it's intriguing too. The theme music is the same, almost. Yes, the Doctor Who theme is one of the most iconic in TV history. I love it. It has been arranged this year by Sigun Akinola, our new composer, taking the original recordings made by Delia Derbyshire and the Radiophonic Workshop in 1963 and refashioning them for today just as we've done across the whole show, building a thrilling new version while honouring the past. That's really interesting. And it actually was crossing my mind this morning when I was thinking about the upcoming series that we haven't had a leak or a release of either the theme tune or the theme graphics. Yes, and obviously they've done something here. My, my initial take is, okay, they've sampled the original theme and maybe, you know, he's a modern composer. Maybe it's got like a... Um, not a disco beat, but maybe a sort of a house beat behind it. Maybe there's like a bit of a pounding bass line behind it, but it's the original sounds or something. Uh, you see, my take of what you just read was that they took the original sounds and sort of embiggened them and, and put some new, you know, echo and depth and, 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 and vibration. What I don't know what the technical terms are, but, but, you know, enhanced them in some way. So I sort of went in a different direction. But, yeah, that'll be very interesting. And I think I think they are clearly holding that stuff over for uh, for a surprise when we see it all so they've got something planned yeah look anything's going to be better than the capaldi theme as much as i love capaldi as a doctor his theme was just so thin and watery that's about the best way i can describe it i was never into that theme oh no the uh, the matt smith one is uh the one that really annoyed me because they cut the diddly dums out completely and just had that awful fanfare that, that sort of horn section, yeah, that was... Yeah, yeah, mm. I, no, no diddly-dum, not a Doctor Who theme. No, not at all. Number eight, the mystery of the missing TARDIS continues. The TARDIS, the Doctor's unmistakable time and space machine, exploded and disappeared just as the 13th Doctor slammed into life on Christmas Day last year. Who knows where it is now? Maybe we'll find out. Yeah, that seems to imply to me that maybe we'll find out quicker than we were expecting. Maybe that's the whole plot of episode one and then they get it and if they're traveling back and forth in time i assume they have the tardis yeah i'd like to think they get it back in that first episode too yeah yeah okay <laughs> number nine new stars new writers former children's laureate and acclaimed young um, adult novelist mallory blackman is one member of our new writing team this year along with bafta winner vinay patel joy wilkinson pete mctye and ed heim good yeah, look, I think the only thing to add there, because I'm not familiar with these people's work, is it's just a lot of new names, and that could be really good for the show, actually. Yeah, look, fr fresh ideas is always good for a show, and yeah, I, I don't know those people partic particularly, but cool. 
Yep. Number 10, which we've already discussed, you won't find it on Saturday night. The show is moving to Sunday evenings, at least in the UK. Uh, look for it from Sunday, 7th of October on BBC One. Start building your Sunday nights around it. Uh, do your homework, get your Monday morning clothes and stuff ready before you settle down on the sofa with some snacks. Yep, good move. And look, we've been talking about a move from Saturdays for, well, over a year now. So we have been vindicated, Rob. I think so. Number 11, we've been keeping our secrets close to our chest. We've been working hard at staying quiet until now in order that audiences aren't spoilt and also so that our stories make it onto the television in the most exciting way possible. But we're now getting excited about showing you Espo, a life-changing bike ride, Robertson, The Ux, Umbreen, Rosa, Desolation, Kandoka's Moon and Ribbons. All of these things are on their way. I have no idea what to make of that, and I guess I'll find out. I guess some of them are names of monsters, some of them are names of planets. I'd like to think Desolation might be a planet. That sounds pretty exciting. And I think Ribbons might be a monster. I think there might be a Ribbon monster coming, but I won't won't spoil anyone on that. Uh, Number 12, there's a galaxy of stars. One of the great joys of Doctor Who is there's a new set of characters each episode, meaning we get to work with new amazing guest stars each week. In the first two episodes alone, you'll see Sharon D. Clarke, Sean Dooley, Art Malik, and Susan Lynch. And we've got lots more names to reveal across the series. Yeah, no, that's that's good. That's going to be interesting. Um, I, I think sometimes there will be that a uh, factor where and somebody who's a big name in the UK is a non-entity or, a, or an unknown, I should say, in Australia. Uh, but yeah, big name actors is good. It shows the series is being taken seriously. Indeed. And finally, number 13, we can all live the dream. Did I tell you this is my dream job? Yes, it's more fun than I could have possibly ever have imagined. I get to write adventures for a character I've loved since I was a child, and I get to work with some of the most talented craftspeople in television. And sometimes we blow stuff up. I hope you have as much fun watching as we've had making it. The 13th Doctor is on our way. It's going to be a blast. Come and join us across all the space and time. It's going to be a universe worth of fun. Well, I'm glad he's happy. Job satisfaction is very important. <laughs> I just like that he he is constantly going back to the fact that he is an old school fan and this is a character he's cared about for a long time. It's not someone stepping in and with a new Doctor, a female Doctor no less, and all these new changes coming, that he's going to do something radically hurtful or something to the show, you know, because he's loved it all his life. Yeah, no, I think think that definitely comes through and uh, I guess we get to judge how successful he was, as I keep saying, in a week's time. All right. Shall we move on? So, Rob, a year ago, we did a episode that focused on your favourite Doctor, Davo. Is that a and year ago now? It's a year ago. Possibly Good a little Lord. bit more. Wow. And I said at the time, that's fine. Sometime soon, we'll do my favourite Doctor. <laughs> yes. And tonight's the night. It is. It is. And I'm actually quite happy that we're doing it too. Yeah, look, I, I, I generally am. As, as I said, I was, I was prepping this you know last night and and last week and this morning and mostly i was just trying to work out what i didn't have time to say because there's so much i can say about the hartnell era but i've I've got my notes i've tried to concentrate on on the the key aspects and i'm i'll try not to talk at too much length but uh yeah let's let's get into it william hartnell the first doctor the original absolutely dave this is this is your baby so i'm going to let you drive yeah, so before we sort of get into our, our, our thoughts and opinions, I'm curious, Rob, because, look, let's be honest, neither of us were watching Doctor Who in 1963, and neither of us were watching Doctor Who in 1966 when he left either. So how did you discover William Hartnell? 
Dave, I discovered Hartnell largely through Target novels. Um, this would have been around 87, 88, 89, those sort of three years there. I did see the pilot episode in 87, and by that I mean the genuine pilot episode, the one that wasn't aired on TV. Um, some fans had a copy, and um, it was very... <laughs> VHS being copied too many times. Yeah. Um, but that was quite magical to see. But not a lot of episodes. I didn't see a lot of episodes at all over those first three years of being a real sort of you know ferret of a fan um they'd get screened at doctor who fan club parties but generally they were on at the same time as things i wanted to watch like season 24 so i wasn't going and watching them um so it was really the target novels of that era so think of stuff like the massacre uh the time meddler edge of destruction the smugglers stuff that was coming out around 87 88 89 as new releases i was grabbing those and just eating them up i thought they were fantastic yeah, I certainly would have had my first encounter with the first Doctor via the Targets as well. We had them all up at the shelf at home. So I, I sort of grew up knowing there were multiple Doctors because you could see them on the Target books. The first time I would have seen the first Doctor, I'm certain would have been in the five Doctors. Mm. And the second time would have been in the three Doctors. So I was aware of him through those anniversary stories, even though it's not Hartnell for the majority of the five Doctors and he's not in a lot of the three Doctors, but I at least knew who he was and his role in Doctor Who mythos. I'm fairly certain the first time I saw a Hartnell story was at a Doctor Who club meeting in 1987 where I saw the Aztecs. Wow, that's very cool. And uh, I would have seen the Daleks a year later at a video day that they showed. And somewhere in there as well, I saw the Edge of Destruction. I'm not sure if that was before or after the Daleks, but... Through the Doctor Who fandom, I did start seeing these stories, and then some of his VHS releases came out, so I saw the Daleks again, the Dalek Invasion of Earth. But also, we had the audio tapes at the club that you could borrow, and so I had a number of them. Celestial Tormaker Part 4 I had on audio, and I absolutely love that. That would be pulled out all the time. Um, the Web Planet I remember vividly, because I, I just have these memories of being about seven, eight, nine, and listening to the Zabi on audio cassette as the cicadas went crazy in the in, in the Australian summer. So I, I came to him very much in a piecemeal way over a, a, a long period of time, and it probably took another 15 years before I'd seen all of his existing episodes. Yeah, look, I'd be similar, you know, until those videos started coming out, and then it was the DVDs. Some of the episodes I saw for the first time on DVD. Oh, okay. Look, I, I've definitely seen them all sort of by the time I'd finished school, because we had mm. borrowed um, stuff from people in fandom. But yeah, it was very piecemeal and it took a long time. And, and as you alluded to, Rob, some of those video cassettes, you know, <laughs> they, were, they were multiple generations and they were not easy to watch. No, they weren't. The, the better ones came from the US of all places, where it had been on public uh, broadcast uh, television over there, and people had recorded them and uh, sent them over. They'd been converted from NTSC to PAL and all that sort of malarkey, and then they were pretty good. They were very good, actually. But yeah, some of the, the more obscure things, like the pilot episode, yeah, that was... Very much so. And of course, An Unearthly Child was broadcast in 1993. Yes, that's right. And a great episode. Still, it is. Very much. So, look, in a moment, Rob, I'm going to wax lyrical about why this Doctor of the series is my favourite. But before I do, what, what are your thoughts about Hartnell and the first Doctor and that era? Look, I loved 
the way Hartnell was so different to the doctors I'd grown up with who were younger, particularly Davo, to then be reading these novels with this, you know, acerbic, surly old guy <laughs> getting around uh, and being quite authoritarian and stuff, I, I really gravitated towards the character. I thought, this is something new. This is different. I am a historical buff, and so many of the stories were historically based. Um, that was a big appeal to me as well. I mean, The Massacre, I just devoured The Massacre. I thought that was a wonderful novel. And I was so upset that it, it was a story that we couldn't actually see. So I just think that the, his character, the historical stories, and just that sort of feel that he was like a Victorian man in, in outer space was just very appealing to me. I, I quite liked him. Well, I'm very pleased to hear that. Hmm. How about you? Um, look, Hartnell hasn't been my favourite Doctor for my entire lifetime. Um, when I was a kid, it was Pertwee. And, and I still have a really soft spot for Pertwee. I still adore Pertwee in the Pertwee era. Um, and that, that, I think, is that reflection of growing up with him in Australia, those continuous repeats. And, and there's a lot of like about his Doctor. But as I got older and as I saw more of Hartnell, I really did fall in love with his character and his era. I mean, as a character, he's everything that I think the Doctor should be. He can walk into a room and absolutely command that room. He is fun. He's naughty. He's also, though, he's incorruptible. The The moral rigidity and, and, and that uprightness of his character is really, really strong. But at the same time, so often there's that twinkle in his eye and he's just having fun. He's... He's got no backstory and he's got no rules and he's not a time lord from the planet Gallifrey and the constellation of Casturbarus who mm. fights Daleks and has companions. He's just this weird alien guy having fun adventures. And he's doing it in an era where Doctor Who has no rules. They're just making this stuff up as they go along. <laughs> and it is so imaginative. He's so lyrically written as well. This is this is Doctor Who written by a generation of writers who really came out of cinema, you know, British cinema, out of theatre, out of the play for today concept. And and they're writing Doctor Who with this real lyrical, utterly engaging way. As, as somebody who likes language and likes dialogue and likes characterization, there's so much of it in this era. But it's it's all doing Doctor Who at its best. The historical stories, and we'll talk about this in a moment when we talk about season one, the historical stories are some of the best you'll get. The sci-fi stories are some of the best you'll get. The companions are some of the best you'll get. And, okay, there are times when it's a bit slow, and there are times it doesn't quite work, we'll talk about them, but this is just pure Doctor Who for me. Exciting, engaging, morally fun. I mean, I mean, you know, let, let indulge me here, Rob. As somebody who would call himself a Gladstonian liberal or a classical liberal, mm -hmm. there's so much of that in Doctor Who in this era. Those values really come through, those post-war values where this is a production team that, you know, were actively themselves fighting fascism. Mm -hmm. And that comes through in this era. But that, that, that embrace of humanity comes through, that value of humanity. I mean, I've said before, lines like the Ark, you must travel with understanding as well as hope. You know, that's an entire story about understanding other species and, and treating everyone as equals. And that liberalism comes through this year in a really wonderful way. So th these are some of the reasons why I love this Doctor in this era so much. And I suspect others will come up as we start to explore each season interspersed with some different aspects of his era. 
Do you think he's the most magical Doctor, Dave? And by that I mean he just has that aura about him that decreases as the Doctors go on. Ooh, look, look, Tom would be up there. Mm. But, 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 yeah, you could definitely make that argument. See, I, I see him as quite Yoda-like. You know, when we first mm. meet Yoda, he's giggling, he's twinkly, but he can turn very serious. We don't know much about him. Uh, he's just this odd alien. Um, you know, I, I sometimes think of him as Yoda. I know that's a weird thought. No, no, I totally get that. When you, when you, when you ask him a question or something happens, you're never quite sure if he's going to sort of bark at you, go away, or he's going to just go, that's so funny. <laughs> You just exactly. never quite know. Yeah, it's lovely. Or to quote from the uh, the Crusaders, "Good afternoon." <laughs> <laughs> I still remember when you did that. Yes, good afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so much fun. Look, what, so what we're going to do? We're going to chat a little bit about each season, not every story individually, but we will pull a number of them out, and in between, we'll we'll also look at some other topics. So, uh, I, I might kick us off, Rob, with okay. season one. We're just going to talk about. You know what we think of it and the stories we like and we don't like and the first thing I think I need to say is how lucky are we that so much of this season exists because other than Marco Polo you've got almost a complete run until you hit the Reign of Terror Part 4 oh absolutely growing up as a fan the first thing I learned about Doctor Who just about was there are missing episodes and I assumed they'd be the earliest episodes but how amazed and delighted I was that they weren't the first episodes <laughs> No, it's, it's, it's a really wonderful thing. Um, there are very few completely missing stories in the Hartnell era, and there's only one in the first two years, which, which is a great thing. But season one, there is not a story in here I don't like. Okay. Even the, uh, the three parts of Unearthly Child that sort of drag a bit? No, I, I think they're really great. I think the way that that story comes together, the, the, the alienness of the world they're in, but, but the way that the Doctor and Barbara and Ian particularly are put together and slowly have to learn to respect each other. They, they don't like each other yet, but but that slow respect that each of them has. And there's some wonderful little exchanges, particularly between the Doctor and Barbara in there that I really like. Mm. I, I think it's a really wonderful um, first adventure and, and the first part is just fantastic. Oh, absolutely. Uh, uh, it's it's almost incomparable for me to the next three parts, actually. Yeah, look, look, I, I get that. But but I mentioned earlier, in this season, we see Doctor Who doing all the things it does at its best. Mm. You want historical drama, Marco Polo, fantastic. The Aztecs, amazingly brilliant. You want science fiction, well, you've got the Daleks. You want weird alien adventures and, and sagas and quests. You've got the Keys of Bloody Marinus. I mean, how imaginative and inventive is the keys of Marinus as a piece of television. So there's just so much good stuff in this. What, what are the standouts for you, Rob? Uh, for me, look, we've already mentioned the first episode of An, of, um, An Unearthly Child. It's just fantastic. Um, the Daleks, I was never as into as people make out. Obviously, the Daleks are brilliant. Obviously, it's an interesting story, but it's very long. So I'll be controversial and not put that on my list. I always enjoyed Edge of Destruction more based on the Target novel than actually seeing the episodes. I didn't see them until long after I'd read the Target that novel. That is a really, really good book. Yeah. It made me think this was just an amazing story and made me fascinated about being just inside the TARDIS doing stuff. Uh, Marco Polo, I think, yeah, 
that 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 would be a winner again based on the target novel for obvious reasons but but the audio is out there as well and i can listen to the seven parts of the marco polo audio this is a top 10 story for me it, it is such good characterization and so interesting and it it covers this journey from the 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 heights of china right through shangtu and Cathay and the winter palace and the, the photos we have of it, it looks gorgeous, but it is so lyrically written. It's it's like a Shakespearean play, as far as I'm concerned. Mm. And that's very easy in these early years of Who, actually for maybe the first decade of Who. They're almost like plays on television, and they've just got some cameras at different angles that are capturing this play going on. Yeah, yeah, literally right down to we're going to have four members of the regular cast so that whilst two people are off getting changed for the next scene, the other two can be on stage. Yeah precisely and you know look i i just rattled off the first half of the season there and i realized i could rattle off the second half of the season because stuff like keys of marinus and the reign of terror i adore as well i think i really like this whole first season yeah look i i do as well even the sensorites which i would say is probably the weaker link of the season yes it, it, it starts off a little bit strange it's a little bit slow but it really does pick up as the story goes on but this is the moment where the doctor kind of becomes the doctor that we know and there's a really interesting contrast there's a there's a wonderful scene looking back in hindsight in part one of the keys of marinus where arbitan has said to them you know i've, I've got this this quest i need you to go on i need to go find these keys and restore justice to marinus and find my missing daughter and everything and he appeals to them to go and then it cuts to them walking back going oh gee i feel really bad we're not going to help him but we can't do that and then Arbitan puts the shield around the TARDIS and says, no, no, you're not going anywhere till you help me. And they're mm. forced to do it. That's really weird looking back now, whether they're just like, look, you know, we'd nice, like to help this nice old man, but that's not what we do. In, <laughs> yeah. in the Sensorites, that's the first time in Doctor Who, I think, I think it was Lawrence Miles has made this point. That's the first time where, okay, the Doctor has ingratiated himself with the Sensorites. They're happy to let him go. He's cured Ian. Ian's healthy. They're all, they're all good. They could leave at the end of part four. And the Doctor says, there's a mystery. There's something dodgy going on here. And I'm going to go off an adventure and find out what's going on. And I'm going to solve this problem just because I want to. Mm. And that's the first time we see that in the sense rights. That's really important. Yeah, this whole first season is just Doctor Who finding its way. And I th- I, again, I think that's what makes it so interesting. They are doing different things. We don't know much about the characters and what's going on it's it's just it's just so exciting and speaking of those characters let's just segue into a chat about the hartnell companions some great companions some great companions look we'll work through them quickly because i think they all deserve at least a line yeah susan she has some great stories she has some weaker stories i don't think they ever quite worked out how to write her no that's true um but i but i'm a big fan barbara and ian though I think it is a real testament that every generation of Doctor Who fans who goes back and discovers the Hartnell era, I think without exception, falls in love with Ian and Barbara. Oh, without doubt. And we saw it most recently with the uh, the Twitch TV broadcasts. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, these are such three-dimensional characters. They are our identification figures. In, in some ways, Ian is the lead in some of these early stories as well. Let's not forget that. So brilliantly acted. And... I just can't praise them enough. I mean, you think about some of these scenes in something like the Romans, for example. These are two human beings, completely fully formed. And it's wonderful to watch them go about what they do. 
Yeah, absolutely. They, they've certainly got more meat on the bones than some uh, companions that come afterwards. Not just in the Hartnell era, of course. No, no, absolutely. That said, though, Vicky, I think she is one of the most underrated and underestimated companions in 50-something years of Doctor Who. She gives the most wonderful performance in every story. She's engaging. She is fun. She leads the Doctor off on adventures. She carries plot lines. She personally brings about a revolution on in the Space Museum. Like, Vicky is so cool. Yeah, Vic, Vicky is tremendous. And I think I've said this before, maybe even on the podcast. Vicky is Susan done right. Yeah, I, I think so. I think that a little bit more experience on the part of the production team really made that work and 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 if you take anything out of this podcast i would say go back and have another look at vicky would be something worth doing yeah agreed where does steven sit for you rob steven is like my favorite male 60s companion dave oh wow so say why yeah especially when he has a beard (laughs) i'm I'm very specific about this (laughs) go on go on why is this I just think he, he he came from the future. He was so interesting. He uh, just seemed a bit more edgier than Ian. You know, I, I understand why Ian is so well-liked, but I think Stephen just has a bit more of an edge to him. And that's that's always interesting and appealing to me. Uh, I, I just like, you know, Peter Purvis's performance in general. I, I've long liked Stephen as a companion. That's interesting. Stephen, the character, isn't someone that ever really fired my imagination or engaged me. But looking back at his era, I've really come to respect at least what an amazingly strong performance Peter Purvis does give in the role. Mm. Oh, absolutely. And look, I'll just add too that I think maybe some of those target novels that I was getting into with the first Doctor around that era are Stephen stories you know mm. when, when you think of the massacre or you think of um uh the myth makers perhaps or or the time meddler yes he's very good in that for a debut story mm. katarina and sarah i i wouldn't really have much to say about them they're they're, they're, they're just there and then they're gone <laughs> yeah look look i don't think katarina really worked I, I can kind of see what the idea was but it, 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 she, she was just too far back in history to really be able to comprehend what was going on. And I actually think that's quite a tragic and, and certainly her ending is very tragic. Sarah, I think, is a really interesting companion. But again, how she would have worked outside of the Daleks' master plan, I'm not sure. Um, I mean, she does soften up a bit as that story goes on. But yeah, I'm not sure that she would have worked long term. No, she worked well in the story, but not not else elsewhere. And yes, with Katarina, I mean, even it was stretching things with Jamie, you know, and the way he'd yeah. react to things. Uh, but she was way too far back. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, probably the more controversial one of the era, Dorothea Chaplet. <laughs> I'll be controversial and say I don't mind her. You know, I I really don't. I think you know, uh, in the arc. She's the catalyst for what goes on, and I think she's quite fun. I, I, I think she gets maligned for the way she left the series, uh, and the way you know she wasn't, she wasn't a Barbara, she wasn't a Vicky, and she left the series in an odd way. So she, she gets remembered for that, and I think that's a bit unfair. I think there's more to her than people maybe give her credit for. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. Look, she's not my favourite of the year, and certainly not of the series, but. 
I can remember, again, being a kid and totally buying into her. At least whether it was listening to Celestial Toymaker Part 4 or... You know, I remember the first time I saw the arc when I was about 9 or 10. She was just the companion in that story and she was she was fine. Okay, she does sort of disappear randomly in the war machines. And, <laughs> and, 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 and yes, you know, you can't blame the actress because one person saying to her, do Cockney, and the other person saying, no, you have to do RP and it floats between that. Yeah. That's that's the production team's fault, not hers. Yeah, exactly. And Ben and Polly. I, I wish we had more of Ben and Polly with Hartnell because I love these companions with Hartnell. They're, they're so much fun and they just show, because they are the, the, the representation of the swinging 60s and they get on so well with Hartnell and with the first Doctor, that just shows how much a part of that London swinging 60s scene the Doctor really was. And I love these three together. Oh, look, they freshen up the series in a pretty significant way when they come in. And I'll just add that Stephen's my favourite male companion of the 60s. Polly is my favourite female companion of the 60s. I I love Polly very much. And I think with Ben, she's fantastic. And like I say, it just freshens the series up. It makes you feel like, okay, we're into the second half of the 60s now. Things are happening. Things are different to even just a few years ago. I mean, doesn't 1963 feel different to 1966? And yet it's only the difference in modern terms between like 2015 and now, mm. um, which which feels like no difference at all. And yet we look back on that era and 63 to 66 just seems so remarkably different. You're right. All sorts of pop culture. I mean, compare a Beatles album from '63 to a Beatles album, a Beatles album in '66. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Like huge, huge changes in culture. But if anything, the Doctor sort of blends in with that even better. And and again, Ben and Polly feel like real people. Yes, I mean Polly when we when we see her in the War Machines and she's in the nightclub. That's that's her environment. I buy into the fact that that's where she goes. Yeah, absolutely, and and Ben's just there looking remorseful and and drinking, you know, <laughs> and and they engage so humanly. Yeah, yeah, really good companions in this era. It it is remarkably good. Mm. So we'll move on to season two. Um, I've spoken a bit, Rob. So why don't you lead us off? What are, what are your favourite or most memorable or most interesting stories from Doctor Who's second season? I've always had a soft spot day for Dalek invasion of Earth. Uh, simply because it felt so big and expansive. And out of this and, say, the Daleks, this is by far my preferred Dalek story. Um, I, I just love the fact that, you know, you hear the stories years later that they got out at, I don't know, 6am on a Sunday morning and were filming in London and places like this. And I just think it gives it a real cinematic feel. It, it, and I know there's obviously a movie version of it with Peter Cushing for people who haven't seen it. But... To me, the black and white version uh, is scarier. It just feels like a movie from that period. It, it feels so different to other stories of this um, this season and in, indeed the Hartnell era. I have a big soft spot for Dalek Invasion of Earth first and probably the rest of the season second. Look, I agree with everything you've just said there. I, I do like the Daleks, the first story. In fact, I like all the Dalek stories. We'll talk about that in a moment. I still stand up and say... In my view, the Dalek invasion of Earth is the best Dalek story of the last 55 years. I think this is the Daleks at their absolute best. This is the Daleks having come in and they have conquered Earth, as you said, and you mm. feel that and it looks it. This is the Daleks at their most cunning, the way that they entrap people and they work around people and, and they're just at one step ahead of everybody until the very last moment. 
the Daleks at their most ruthless. There's one such a memorable scene there where, and it happens off screen, Susan and David are escaping the Daleks and they've gone to hide and they hear somebody being chased by a Dalek and you just hear him like, no, you know, you've killed my wife, my family, my children, you've killed them all, no, no. And then he just gets shot. Mm. And it's all off screen, but it's just such a chilling moment. Uh, And I, yeah, I agree. This is just wonderful Dalek story. Uh, Not to say I don't think there are other really good ones, but I think this is probably the pick of the season. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's why I say it's this story first, the rest of the series second. But there are other good stories here. I mean, the Romans is such fun. Also in the fun vein, the chase. I adore the chase. I know that's a controversial thing to say as well, but I think it's loads of fun. I think more and more people are learning to love the chase as they discover it. I, I agree, it's a huge amount of fun. And again, imaginative, creative, and, and it looks great. I mean, okay, we all know about the production flaws in it. It's mm. 1960s TV, but you know some of that stuff in the Mechanoid City, the model work and everything, that's amazingly good quality. And I didn't mention it, but in the Daleks, that second ever Doctor Who story, look at the model work there, look at the special effects work there. That is extraordinarily good. Oh, look, they're really going for it this, this season. I mean, Planet of Giants, you know, that that's really reaching to, to, for the first story of that series. They, they're trying to do something new there. Dalek Invasion of Earth is just massive. Romans is funny. Um, the, the Romans, I, I, I have to agree, is just incredibly funny. Like, genuinely laugh out loud funny. And Hartnell is perfect in that. His performance is so good. If ever you are wondering whether Hartnell is capable of a really strong performance or whether he was going slightly ill and crazy and, you know, couldn't remember his lines, watch his timing in the Romans because he is word perfect in that story. Oh, yeah. A lot of the criticisms of Hartnell are are, are cliches and stereotypes that just get perpetuated by fans who I wonder if they've actually seen the episode sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. And then you've got a story like The Crusade, which, again, is just one of these really engaging and lyrical and 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 almost poetic stories with Mm. a really interesting and sympathetic portrayal of saladin and his his point of view and king richard's point of view and uh, yeah i think that's an amazingly good story the rescue is again one that i I like Uh, the web planet i love what they've tried to do here is this the first time in doctor who that ambition doesn't quite come off uh i'm just looking at the list in front of me i'd say you're probably right yeah yeah i i think the first two episodes of the web planets are actually really interesting and those first views of the zabi and setting up the world unfortunately i do think it does drag quite a bit and by the end where you've sort of got barbara just sort of lying down pointing a prop at a sort of dodgy spider effect um for about 20 minutes it it's it's not great. The, the, the plot doesn't really hold it off, but I'd rather that they're shooting for the moon and falling short than, than not trying, and they definitely do that here. Absolutely. And you know, Dave, when I look at this season, I've, I've waxed lyrical about so many of the stories. I love some of these stories. I still don't think it's a as good a season, though, overall, as the first one. I think season two's highs are as high as season one's. I think they're higher in places. Yeah, possibly, possibly. I think that its lows are lower, and that does bring its average down. Yes. Look, I, I think the Space Museum is just tedious. Uh, that's That, to me, is the first real failure, where it just... Even the ambition isn't there. I just don't think it works. Uh, 
Mm. Um, and I know some people say part one is interesting. No, part one is boring too. <laughs> you know, it, it's 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 a story about a bunch of space cliches who have invaded a planet of um, you know gay yuppies and <laughs> or gay students or something, and and taken them over. And then you know it's it's the the rebellion of the effete gay student. I, I don't know. It's a terrible. Story. Yeah, yeah. Um, Vicky's great in it though. Vicky is great in it though. But um, and it ends with a time medal, which you know the the cliffhanger of part three. The monk's got a TARDIS. Mm-hmm. Wow! Oh yeah, look what what an amazing character and a character people still talk about to this day um, as a character they'd like to see again. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, really, really good stuff. Mm. So we've mentioned them a few times. We need to do a little sidebar, Rob, now about <laughs> the Daleks. Yeah, of course we do, yes. Can I just point something out to you that is really obvious but might also blow your mind? Ooh, okay. The Daleks are the only recurring monster in the entire Hartnell era. Wow, okay. Yes. Uh, the, the, the fan part of my brain is quickly trying to see if you're wrong about that and <laughs> quickly analysing the stories, but... Yeah, you are quite right. I never, I never thought that thought. Yeah, the Cybermen do turn up in the Hartnell era, but they're not yet a recurring villain. No, they're not. No. So, so we only get in this entire three and a bit seasons of Doctor Who one recurring monster, and it does recur four times. And every one of these stories, I will contend, is really good, if not utterly brilliant. Yeah. Well, I guess they have the uh, benefit of not coming off past stories, so anything they do is going to be new and interesting. But uh, I take your point that they are good stories in their own right, too. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about the Daleks. We've talked about Dalek Invasion of Earth. We've said we enjoy the chase. Dalek's master plan is coming up. And, and again, this, this idea that you can't write good dialogue for the Daleks. Well, watch or listen to the Daleks master plan. Because there's 13 episodes of really good dialogue. And I like the way that we evolve and develop the Daleks over their four stories. The Daleks, their first story is just an opening. It's a fun adventure with these cool monsters. Then we get to see them really big. We get to see them invading Earth and being really powerful. Then we do something a bit fun with them, a bit different with them in the chase. Then we say, right, let's just take it all up to 11. Let's have the Daleks invading the galaxy in a (laughs) 13-part story where they almost win because, again, they are cunning. They are clever. They are always just, you know, one step ahead of the Doctor sometimes, one step behind him sometimes. And, and there is that real back and forth, you know, the Doctor's winning a bit. No, the Daleks are winning a bit. No, the Doctor's winning a bit. No, the Daleks are winning now. Like, it really feels like a battle of equals, f- battling between the two of them across that whole story for huge, huge stakes. Yeah. Oh, just just amazing stuff. And, you know, let, let, let's talk about the creation of the Daleks, because I always like to throw in a, a shout-out to uh, Ray Cusick for designing yeah. them, which I think... And I don't know if this is controversial. I think the design of the Daleks is more important than maybe their backstory. Oh, look, I think that's a pretty reasonable comment to make. I mean, they, they just look amazingly different to anything that had ever been seen. And, and really something that no one has captured again. And which, when they roll out in modern stories, they still look amazing while still remaining pretty much the same as their original look. Yeah, and, and, and you know, I think I think that the 60s is the equal best era for the Daleks, equal to the Russell T. Davies era. That's fair. That's very fair, actually. And, and you know, 
four of those six sixty stories are, are here. I just think they're all great, and I get why they were as big as they were back then. And and I still love Dalek stories. You know, I I often find I'll put on a single Dalek story, and then I'll go. I need to watch another one. I'm going to go, and then I'm going to watch another one. I just I just got to watch more Dalek stories. Yeah, yeah, there is something about them. That's for sure. So season three. Mm. This is an interesting one. I really like it. It's a very controversial in fan wisdom, though. Yeah, look, I, I think there are more hits and misses here than in season two. Uh, so it, it, it's 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 kind of like when they're really on their game, they're really on their game, and when they're not, they're really not to me. It's yeah, it, it it's it's hard to say whether I like or dislike the season because I can see some stories in it I absolutely love, but I can see some stories in it that aren't much good at all. Well, I'm going to ask you then. I can only see one that I don't think is much good. What, which ones do you have on your list? I'm not a fan of Galaxy Four. No, that was that was the one I had. I I like the idea, and I like some of the imagination. It doesn't quite work, and it has dated very badly. Mm, and I'm not a fan of the Gunfighters or the Savages. When was the last time you watched the Gunfighters? Oh, within the last decade, but it could be like seven or eight years. Maybe give it another try, because every time I watch The Gunfighters, I like it a little bit more. And there are some genuinely laugh-out-loud moments in that. It's it's not the best historical, certainly, and it's not even the best comedy historical. I think it probably is the weakest of those. Um, but there is some very fun stuff in there, and Hartnell himself is really, really good. Um, you know, some of that stuff, like, you know, <laughs> I always like that line where, how well do you know Doc Holliday? Hmm. He gave me his gun. He extracted my tooth. What more do you want? <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, there's some good stuff there, but yeah, okay. Yeah, and then and then the savages. It just never, just never stood out to me. It's it's mm. very forgettable. It, it is very forgettable. It's an interesting concept. I wonder how that would go down if it was found. I like it, but you're right, it, is, it isn't It is very memorable. But on the other hand, let's let's say we have some really good stuff in here. I mean, we've just spoken about the, the epic that is the Daleks' master plan. I mean, that really is epic. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the Mythmakers, I think, is hilarious. Yes. Um, it, it is brilliant. The, the, the characters in that, um, you know, Priam, Odysseus. Oh, how good is Odysseus? Um, really, really, really fun concepts in there and, and again some some wonderful lines um you know the bit where Hartnell turns around you've just killed this man yes sir but in your name <laughs> yeah. um and and look any 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 story that has episode titles like small profit quick return mm-hmm. or the horse of destruction um i just i just really love it looking at the photos i reckon the model work on that would have been spectacular yeah, the the photos do excite me about that, and and that's a story I, I would really really love to see. Um, but for me, like the massacre again, coming from the target novel, I'm I'm really into. I don't know how it stands up though as a as an actual story to watch. I, I think it's really good. I mean, obviously, I've never watched it. I think the audio is really good. Again, it's well written. Um, again, you know, Hartnell, he's not that far from the end of his run. He gives again a note perfect performance as the abbot of Amboise. You know, a, a different character instantly. From, from the moment you see this person on screen and hear him speak, 
He's instantly a different character, and he is word perfect, which just goes to show how much of Hartnell's uh, sort of mannerisms and fumbling was acting. And, and again, Hartnell as the Doctor gives this wonderful monologue at the end of this massacre, really, really wonderful monologue. And again, he's perfect in that. So, you know, let's not pretend that this guy was not a strong actor right through the entire era. Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, it might be fair to say that the length of these seasons, which we haven't touched on at all here, uh, may have got to him from time to time. Uh, just incredible, the workload. When you look at, at how many episodes there are in each of these seasons, it's amazing. Yeah, and when you look at blooper reels for television shows made today, where actors regularly have multiple takes to get through shots, and, you know, Hartnell got a few fluffs in, in a story where they really could only stop the recording on, you know, a couple of times per recording. I mean, that's impressive. Oh, it's super impressive. Uh, and it speaks to the sort of um, acting background he came from versus where, you know, modern actors are perhaps at. <laughs> It is. So we're in the John Wiles era of the show, which is controversial, but I think has got a lot going for it. I've said many times, The Ark, I think, is a wonderful story. It's a story that takes that concept of time travel and actually does something interesting with it. I can remember very much at a Doctor Who Club meeting, the first time I saw this when I was about nine or ten years old, and not knowing what was going to happen, and then they all leave at the end of part two, and they're like, oh, I thought it was a four-part story, and then they come back and, Doctor, they finish the statue and you, you pan up, you pan up. You pan. And I was in a room where I reckon, you know, of 20 people, 18 didn't know what was about to happen. And then when you saw that shot of the monoid's head on the top of the statue, mm. this this whole room of fans was like, oh, it's a monoid. Like, wow. Yeah, what's you, happened? Yeah. And then you come back and, and, and not only have you got this great time travel sci-fi adventure, but you've got this story where it's all about learning to love people and, and respect other races and civilizations. And mm. it's about saying to the humans, you treated the monoids as second-class citizens. And the Doctor points it out. He's a bit busy solving a plague, so he doesn't make it a big deal. But at the end of it, he says, you know what? You treated these guys as slaves. So when they had the chance, they rebelled. And you need to learn to live in peace. You need to learn that whether you're humans or monoids, everybody's equal and everybody deserves the same rights and respects. And yeah. it's not bashed over the head it's just such a wonderful message though and i think it's such a wonderful story it's i think it's dr hood it's best i really do yeah no the the arc to me is underrated you know based on where i think it is in fandom my, my perception of it in fandom i think it's a much better story than people think well i've got to ask what do you think of Toymaker? Well, I was about to bring that up. I I really like this. And again, it's because of the Target novel, I think. Mm. Obviously, I haven't seen three of the episodes for real. So it is the novel that I'm basing this on. I always thought this was a wonderful story. I know people get a bit hung up on the fact he is a celestial toy maker and we shouldn't be saying those things today. But, oh gosh, I, I just get past that. And I look at the story itself. I think playing these deadly games and, you know, the concept of this being who is so powerful... I I find all that sort of stuff really interesting. I, I think a modern version of this could be done, you know, wonderfully. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I think part four is really good and it really captured my imagination as a kid. Again, the, the, the Target novel, the same for me. Uh, I think it does lose its way a little bit in part three, which is the Hunt the Key episode. I think that that's actually a bit slow and dull. Um, mm. but, but as for the Celestial thing, well, I always thought Celestial meant cosmic and he was a cosmic toy maker. Right. 
Yeah, I mean, that's fair. And I, I think I thought the same when I was a kid as well. Mm-hmm. How innocent we were. Oh, yes. Still am, Dave. <laughs> we try. We try. <laughs> so just a, a final little sort of breakaway chat here. Um, the first Doctor in other things. Now, his VHS tapes, he had some of the first VHS tapes to come out. Stuff like the Daleks, Dalek Invasion, Aztecs. They actually all came out relatively early in the run, which was really good to see. Yeah, well, I mean, they're good stories in in themselves, but also I think there was the most interest in going back to the black and white era from fans, Um, even though for many fans they hadn't seen Pertwee's or Baker's or whatever, and they you know perceived that they were probably great episodes. I think just the uh, mystique and allure of these '60s episodes, which at the time seemed so old. You know, they, they were maybe like 20, 25 years old at the time, but it seems I, I know, so it's, long ago. I know. It, it, it was it was closer to us then than the McCoy era is to us now. Yeah, that's just disturbing. It, it, it is, isn't it? But again, they were complete. There were a lot of complete Hartnells. And at that stage, there was, what, two complete Troutons? Crotons and Mind Rob? Oh, and Seeds of Death and War Games. That's, that's but, right. But, but they're all Season 6s, yeah. VHS, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah until, until Tomb was found, yeah. So there were a lot more... Hartnell so we got a lot of stuff from him his novels obviously the first three Doctor Who novelizations were all Hartnell's but then they get ignored for a long long time which is why in those years for me 87 88 89 when I was really getting into things uh there were a lot of Hartnell's popping out because they'd been ignored for so long and suddenly we were up to okay we've got to do the Hartnell's now that's right and as such they were in that latter run of targets where they were again doing a lot more with them so you're right stuff like massacre and toy maker and smugglers and savages and and the rest of they were all really good books i mean the rescue ian martyr turns a two-part story into a you know a a larger than normal target book and and even then some of the older ones like terence dix's work on dalek invasion of earth or an unearthly child yeah really good stuff so i think the heart era was very fortunate in that sense Mm, totally agree the audio tracks of the missing stories are all available, and I, I would regularly, like once a year, I would go through my missing Hartnell story CDs, or well, now I've got them on the iPhone, but I would listen to The Massacre and The Myth Makers and Master Plan and Marco Polo, because I do enjoy them, and it's great to have them all cleaned up so, so well. Yeah, oh, look, it's, it's just amazing they were captured back in the day, because the fans who did it didn't know that the episodes were going to get junked. It's just an incredible amazing fluke because you know how many other shows did fans do that for probably not many no that's absolutely right um i'll mention in the virgin missing adventure range venusian lullaby and the plotters were two standout hartnells for me Mm -hmm. and of course hartnell does turn up in the three doctors and the five doctors and i i love him in the three doctors because even with his health declining when he's on screen pertwee and trout and still defer to him and he's still the the doctor the first one and and i know that he's sick at the time and you know he hasn't got long to live at that stage but when he's sitting there and just lecturing them you just feel like he's still the doctor oh absolutely and look you mentioned him being in in the five doctors obviously he has the cameo at the start before Mm -hmm. the credits but if we're going to talk about you know other actors playing him like herndl in five doctors i think we've got to talk about last year's christmas special dave yeah, look, I'm, I'm I'm not going to go on about it. I, I, I said at the time, and I've said since, I think that Moffat really missed 
the point of the first doctor he i do think he was writing the first doctor as the fan memory not as the real thing and you know there's a lot of stories that the new series has done that haven't worked for me or i haven't liked and generally after i watch them i get a bit annoyed a bit angry and then sort of just move on and well other people like them i don't care i don't have to watch them again who cares mm. but i haven't forgiven this story rob i've got to say and i'm, I'm not going to get angry and worked up about it but i just think it was a really disappointing portrayal of the first doctor i really do yeah and it's not just fan memory it's it's a it's a kind of a not nasty i won't go that far but it's it's certainly an impolite sort of fan memory of Hartnell as well. You know, it's, it's, it's trying to be a bit narky about him, and I I didn't like that. And, it, I mean, we're going back into um, Capaldi's final series now, which I don't really want to do, but you look at Capaldi's final two episodes, they're fantastic, and then he gets mm-hmm. that Christmas special that's just horrible, and Hartnell's all wrong, and it's just, ugh, yuck. The, the Hartnell Doctor was fun. Yes. And he had a twinkle He was Yoda. Head. He was Yoda, and... And I don't think that that was captured. And, and that's a shame. Um, I think Herndl went a reasonable way to catching that. But but even then, he was sort of, you know, the grumpy version of Hartnell. There wasn't quite the fun as much as there could have been. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm, glad that, I'm glad that he's still remembered, though. Yeah, I mean, why couldn't he have shown up being all giggly and twinkly and, <laughs> you know, and, and getting Bill on his arm and leading off with her and, you know, sort of leaving Capaldi in his dust, you know? That would have been funny, but in a charming way. Yeah, or, or you look at the relationship that the First Doctor has with, with Vicky particularly, or, or with Barbara or with Polly, and it is this really respectful relationship. It yes. really is, and I, I wish we could have seen him interacting with Bill that way, but... Look, look, we can't. I think I think we've made our point, and um, we should move on. Yeah, let's. Uh, season four, Hartnell does appear in that. Look, there's only two stories. The Smugglers, I think, is forgettable as well, but it's perfectly nice, decent. I listened to that audio a little while ago. He's not really in much of it, is he? No, he has his little own plot, though, and he, 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 he is the one that resolves the plot, and so that's, that's good. It's a nice story. Um, the Tenth Planet. That's a really good story. Oh, well. For the, for the monster it introduces and the fact it's a final story for a Doctor and the first time a Doctor has a final story, it's it's mythic even before you see it the first time. You, you're just expecting big things from it. And I, I don't think it really disappoints. No, I, I think it is really good. And as a final story for Hartnell, I think it works. It's a shame that he wasn't able to be in Part 3. But in Part 2... His first confrontation with the Cybermen is epic. It really, really is. The Cybermen in the Tenth Planet, these are big, seven-foot-tall, imposing, terrifying things. And Hartnell goes head-to-head with them, face-to-face with them, and, and he holds his own. And it's, it's something that I think the Doctor needs to be able to do, and I don't think every Doctor manages it. Um, I compare a couple of later Doctors interactions with the Cybermen where, he, where, where they, they it doesn't work like that but you know Hartnell's love pride hate fear speech that's amazing you, you, you're very kind for not mentioning the well-cooked meal uh, from Davo <laughs> uh, he, he wasn't <laughs> the only one I was thinking of there <laughs> you're very kind <laughs> um, but, but yeah that, that is a that is a really strong performance still and, and the doctor right up until that regeneration starts to kick in in part four he is totally in command and mm. and and also just having fun 
Oh, look, absolutely. It's a great, great final story. One of the best. I agree. So to wrap things up, we've got a couple of uh, questions. We're going to do our favourites and then our missing stories we want to see return. So I've picked five favourites. Rob, how about you? I've picked three. I could pick five very easily, but I picked three. I could pick ten very easily, so I picked five. <laughs> so, Rob, let's let's go back and forth with our picks. Um, I'll mm-hmm. start, given that I've got five and you've got three. My first pick, probably not a surprise given some of the things I've said about it, is going to be Marco Polo. Fantastic. Not a snap for me, but if I was going to pick five, that would be one of my extras. Yeah, really, really good story. If you haven't gone out and listened to the audios of this recently, listeners... I, I encourage you to listen to Marco Polo. There's a reason people always, uh, as part of the Omni rumor, say that Marco Polo has been found too. I think it's the story that pushes more buttons than any other in terms of if that had been found, it would just excite so many people. Absolutely. And being the only completely missing story in that first, really that first season and a half, I think also um, makes it, you know, people just go, how can it be missing? I know. It's maddening. Yeah. Uh, what's your number one, Rob? My number one, Dave, is no surprise because I've already waxed lyrical about it, Dalek Invasion of Earth. Snap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, I think we've both waxed about that one, so, yep, fair enough. Mm-hmm. Um, my next one, again, one we've spoken about, it's that epic story, The Dalek's Master Plan. Yeah, not a snap for me, but, oh, epic. Absolutely epic. And wasn't it exciting when there were two Target novels for it? Yes, yeah. And then when episode two turned up and that's really good yeah yeah it's fantastic uh, your second Rob my second is one I've also spoken about so again no surprise and I'm doing it just to be a bit controversial it's the chase very cool not a stat from me but totally appreciate where you're coming from just a story that bounces from location to location and you never ever get bored no I I, I get that um, I had to have another historical on my list so I have included the Aztecs. Um, I could have had a couple of the comedy ones, like the Mythmakers of the Romans, the Crusades, really good. But I think the Aztecs and Marco Polo are the two best historicals. They're really, really good. Yeah, agreed. For me, my third pick, Dave, is uh, well. This might not be a surprise, but I haven't really spoken about it at all in this episode. I have spoken about the companions though, and it's the War Machines. Interesting. Okay, I, I don't get that excited about the war machines i like it i respect it but it's not a favorite of mine why why is it a favorite of yours it's a favorite of mine and i completely appreciate that it's not like a a stone cold classic like some of the others we could mention but i think it's an example of a very different kind of hartnell story it's like when we look at the later Troughton stories and we say oh they're a precursor to pertwee i look at this and say well this is a precursor to Troughton, and it's just giving us Doctor Who in a different context he's in modern day London he hadn't been doing that for well all of his run basically um, and suddenly he's in modern day London there's new companions I I just really quite like it I, I think it's great fair enough fair but enough. I understand it's not a classic I understand that's a very weird one to bring up but I, I just have a thing for it no, no that's fair enough and in fact for my final pick I've also picked a unusual but personal choice and that is The Rescue. Oh, well, The Rescue's great. And and again, the Target novel is what got me into it the first time. But what a, what a wonderful little story that's just so entertaining to watch. It, it is, and it's particularly good for Hartnell, whether it's those early scenes in the TARDIS where he's 
missing Susan, whether it's him getting excited to discover that he's back on the planet Dido, uh, right through to the way that um, after Barbara's messed up with Vicky, the Doctor just comes in and he, he wins her trust and his, her confidence in such a lovely way, through to that final confrontation where Hartnell, alone in this big empty room, stands up to Bennett or Coquillion and just, just calls him out and there is that wonderful moment where Hartnell has been you know, wonderful and he's he's called him out and I know who you are and I know what you've done and you're a murderer and you're a disgrace and all the rest of it. And Bennett goes, well, what are you going to do? And suddenly Hartnell goes, you can see in his face, just in his face going, oh, damn, I'm alone in a room with a killer. Oops. <laughs> and it's a yeah. wonderful performance. And yeah, I, I just really like the rescue. Yeah, no, it is it is a very good one. Good choice. Thank you, Roman. No, that's that's a good list. Um, so we also said we'll do three picks of missing stories we wanted to come back. Now I've limited myself to completely missing stories because I think that that's that's fair. But I'll let you go first for this one, Rob. Okay, the massacre. Fair enough. Not on my list, but could be. Not excited by it. I I am excited by it. It's just not in my top three. Okay, what's yours? Uh, look, no, no surprising given it was a favourite story, Marco Polo. Snap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we've explained why. Um, I'll give you another one of mine then, The Mythmakers. Yeah, that would be good. A- again, I think it's very witty. I think it's very clever. I- I- and I think it's seeing the performances, especially from the regulars, and seeing the model work would really elevate that story. Yeah, agreed. Uh, your the final one now, Rob, because you had a snap in there. Yeah, final one for me. And, and this is a no-brainer, Dalek's Master Plan. Yeah, if I wasn't limiting myself to completely missing ones, that would have been in my three. Eddie's epic. I'd love to see it back. But I went with the Toymaker. Oh, well, see, I would love that. <laughs> Again, I just think the visuals on that would be so interesting. All right, we can trade tapes on that one. <laughs> Excellent. Well, look, that's our chat about Hartnell. I could go on for hours and hours and hours. I know, Dave. We could still be here this time next week if we really got into it. But I think that's a nice, succinct taster, almost, for people who maybe aren't as au fait with the Hartnell era to hear that there's some really good stuff in there if you just dig in. And for those who do enjoy it, uh, yes, hopefully we've you know matched with some of your own opinions. And if we haven't, write in and tell us. Yeah, yeah, please write in and give us some thoughts. And maybe if you do go out and check out a few Hartnell stories that you've never seen before and you check them out for the first time, that'll be really interesting too. Mm, no, very good stuff. Okay, so we're at the end of the show. Before we go, though, we've got a few things to talk about, part of which is fan feedback, which is always quite exciting, including two iTunes reviews this time around. Uh, yes, that's very, very exciting. And if you haven't given us a review, we'd love you to do so. Uh, Rob, do you want to read the first one? Absolutely. And I'll just say, you know, this is how people can find our podcast on, on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, as it's now called. So if you can write us a review, we, we hardly ever ask for them, but it would be lovely if you could. The first one uh, has the title of Brilliant, and it's from Robert Michael Kelly in Australia. Uh, and he simply says, a great podcast for all fans of Doctor Who. Thank you, Robert. That's uh, that's That's awesome. Thank you very much. Uh, the second one we have is a little longer. It's from uh, Marky Woo Woo in the UK. <laughs> Hello, Marky Woo Woo. And it says, if you only subscribe to One Who Podcast, make it this one. Their love for the show is evident, and they constantly provide quality, new, and engaging topics, besides being adorable in themselves and the ideal double act 
Ah. We, we finally become a home gym double act, Rob. Hey! <laughs> uh, it goes on to say, sometimes I scream, no, you've got that wrong. Sometimes I yell, at last, someone has said what I feel. And occasionally, I wish I'd thought of that. <laughs> but all the time I feel this is the crackling fire in a quiet pub on a blustery day with the demons playing while I relax with a big smile on my face. Random fandom is equally entertaining with a more adult British take. This is the podcast channel that all others want to be. Someone needs to produce a podcast about their love of this podcast. Thank you, Robin <laughs> Dave, for altruistically transmitting their love. Also, check out Spacefall, the Blake Seven themed cousin to this. And you know, Dave, uh, Marky Woo Woo must be listening to some of our older episodes if they're still hearing random fandom episodes. Uh, so a big shout out to Jim and Bob who used to do those for us. Yes, yes, very much so. Okay, and finally, an email. This is from Ben PM over in Perth, Western Australia. Ben's written to us in the past. He says, Hello, fellow Whovians. I really enjoyed your Companions episode, uh, which is the one we did with Mike Solko, Dave. But I definitely felt I should email you in defense of the much-beloved K9, who you both scored with a criminally low 5 out of 10. <laughs> oh, God, I've slagged K9 earlier in this episode as well. Oh, dear. Um, yeah, I'm in trouble with Ben now. Uh, at one point, you compared K9 negatively to R2-D2. Imagine the original Star Wars trilogy without R2-D2. They would be very different films. R2-D2's sarcastic humor brought a levity to the whole thing. And I feel like K-9 did, at times, a similar thing with the Doctor. I recently read the target novelization of Doctor Who and the Androids of Tara by the estimable Terence Dix, and K-9's dialogue and role in the story, while not huge, is fantastic and an important part of the glue of the whole thing. Obviously, opinions are like... Um, <laughs> <laughs> everybody has one and i'm by no means angry that you disagree with me but surely i'm not the only listener out there who loves k9 dave are you with me thanks for a great podcast all the best ben pm p.s i've attached a photo of my stupid grinning face crouching next to k9 at the doctor who experience a few years back illustrating how happy this five out of ten companion makes me cheers so dave are you with him i'm more with him than i'm with you Ah, okay. Um, I, I think that Canon has got some naff stories, but I think he's got some good stories. And a, again, as a kid, I remember totally buying him and totally engaging with him. And I, I'm glad he was in Doctor Who. Alrighty, let's move on from the feedback just to mention what we're doing on the show when uh, Series 11 begins. Obviously, Dave, this means we can't record on a Sunday afternoon like we used to and uh, edit the show and put it out, you know, within hours of the episode dropping. But uh, we'll still be trying to get out a regular review each week, uh, probably by about Wednesday of each week. Yeah, our reviews will still be hot takes in the sense that we will record the review as soon as we've watched it so it's fresh, it's new and it is a hot take. The, the problem is going to be that we won't be watching it for a couple of days later than we normally would because of the, the timing. Um, you know, We're not going to get up at 4am, watch Doctor Who on a Monday morning and record a podcast and then go to work. That's just not happening, sorry. <laughs> So they will still be hot takes, but they will be delayed hot takes. That's right. And for our monthly episodes while Series 11 is on, uh, we'll be doing all the usual news and views and, you know, just uh, chatting and BSing around. But we will also do some longer form thoughts on uh, collections of episodes that we've seen. And I think they could be quite interesting too in their own right because they won't be hot takes. That, that'll be our more considered opinions. That's right, and we'll mix it up with our usual mini topics and outros and all that sort of thing. So there'll be a bit of non-season 11 stuff in there as well. Absolutely. Speaking of, not Doctor Who related, but, but British 
you know, phenomenon related. In the last couple of months, I've rewatched all eight Harry Potter films. All eight? All eight. Oh, wow. And what did you make of it? It was interesting. Some of them, this was the first time I'd seen them since they've been in the cinema, and some of them I'd seen them three, four times, you know, on DVD or repeats or whatever. Uh, the ones that I remember being good were still good. I think the first movie is a wonderful movie in its own right, and I, I thought I'd be a bit bored by it, seeing it for the fourth or fifth time, mm-hmm. but, but I was really engaged by it. Chamber of Secrets, the second one, remains my favourite. Um, interestingly, though, number six, which is The Half-Blood Prince, probably jumped up to number two on my list. I didn't remember that being that great when I saw it in the cinema, but watching it back now, four, five, maybe six years later, I really enjoyed uh, The Half-Blood Prince. Um, I still think Goblet of Fire is a bit pedestrian. I still think The Prisoner of Azkaban, although I know it's a fan favourite, I think it's pretty terrible. Mm. Is Goblet of Fire where they all have good hair? They've all grown their hair. Is that Goblet of Fire? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, they all look pretty cool in that one. Yeah, um... Yeah, okay. Um, (laughs) Number five, The Order of the Phoenix. I didn't like it at all when it was in the cinema, and I didn't like it at all now. I think the plot is just motionless. Um, Mm. In the book, I have read that book, and there's a lot of sort of stuff about Harry's introspection, him being a, a, a... a grumpy and you know hormone-driven teenager, which kind of yeah. works in the book, but in the movie, it's just him being a dick to everyone for two hours. <laughs> yes, true. And and the final ones, look, I liked them more than when I saw them in the cinema. Uh, I I still think splitting them into two movies is terrible, and there's got to be a really good fan edit of those into a a good sort of two and a half hour movie. Um, the first one starts off really well and then sort of goes nowhere because it just ends in the middle of a book. Uh, mm. The second one, I think they stretch the ending a bit too long. The Battle of Hogwarts starts a full 70 minutes before the end of the movie. And, and unfortunately, in all the other movies, Rob, as someone who's not read all the books and the ones I've read, I've only read once, I always felt that they were accessible to me, that there, there was time taken just enough to explain what was going on to a non-fan. Unfortunately, mm. in the final one, there's stuff going on. I'm just going, what the hell just happened? What? Why isn't he dead? And 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 why is he? And why is she dead? And why is he back? Yeah. Come back to like what? What's going like? What's going on? And it it, it didn't make sense to me. It, it's very dramatic. It works very well. The deaths resonate really well. It's a good movie. It lacks explanation, but the epilogue, Rob. Oh my god, mm. epilogues work in books. They don't work on screens. It's such a shame because that last shot before the epilogue where it's just Harry, Hermione and Ron and you've got the destroyed Hogwarts in the background and there's no dialogue. They're just looking at each other going, we've been through some stuff. Yeah. And we're still here and we're together. But it's, and it's just a wonderful shot that pulls back and it pulls back. See that Hogwarts and then just fade to black. Again. And I remember seeing that the first time going, that's how you end a franchise. That is so classy. Yeah. And then you cut to, you know, a bunch of 20-year-olds trying to play 40-year-olds. And, oh, my God, it's terrible. <laughs> Complete with um, Ginny Weasley and a Julia Gillard wig. It's just so bad. Yes. So I bad. Know. Why do I they know. do it? Uh, look, I, I have to say, although there's a couple of movies I'm a bit down on, for a collection of eight, I was really impressed with these movies. They do hold up very well. Uh, some of the CGI in The Philosopher's Stone is showing its age I have to say Mm. Um, most of it looks great but there are a few shots you go wow this really was sort of 15 years ago yeah and we talked about Jurassic Park being the Star Wars for some generations I think the Harry Potter movies are that for for others yeah I think I think so too I I approach them very much as a a fan of movies generally I'm I'm not engaged with them as a fan on that level 
but watching them as a fan of movies, yeah, I, I was really impressed by most of them. Yeah. All right, quick one from me. Uh, not only is Doctor Who returning very, very soon, but Riverdale returns on October 10th, Dave. Riverdale, my guilty pleasure. Yes, I need to uh, catch up on the end of season two. I'm only halfway through it, so I will do that shortly. That's a priority for me now. And yeah, that'll be interesting. Oh, gosh, if you think season two is bonkers already from wherever you're up to, it just gets more and more bonkers. Okay, I'll be ready for that. <laughs> uh, and finally, three quick plugs, if I may. Yes. Uh, first of all, I think we need to say congratulations to Nathan from Flight Through Entirety, our fellow Australian podcast, who got married on the weekend. Yes, yes, to Calvin. I saw the pictures on Facebook. Isn't that wonderful? It is. So congratulations to both of them. And, you know, congratulations on releasing a podcast that day as well. <laughs> They're multi-talented. <laughs> they are, they are. Uh, I mentioned that the Goodies DVD box set from Network is coming out now. Um, I think they've been arriving in people's letterboxes for the last week or so and will continue to do so. I think I think Network is literally just trying to get these boxes out of the way. Mine has arrived and it is an absolutely gorgeous set. There's two books in there. There's the full 12-disc set. I've watched a couple. The restoration is pretty damn good. There are some deleted censored scenes restored to a couple of episodes. So I, I did race out and watch those last night. Uh, there's some CDs. There's a bag. And... Um, the Goodies Pirate Podcast does get a mention in the updated Andrew Pixley book. Oh, that's really good. That's excellent. So if anybody out there has thought, I wouldn't have minded listening to that podcast about the goodies, but I can't watch along with it because I don't have the episodes, now is your chance to go out and do so. That's right. And we should say this this uh, box with the books in it and so on was a very limited run. It was a run of just a thousand, I think, Dave. Something like that. I suspect there will be another run soon because I know a lot of people missed out and want to have a copy. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, otherwise, it'll be available as just like a big sort of box with about, what, about 10 discs in it or something like it, that? 12, 12 discs. It's all 12. the BBC series, yeah. Yeah, mine hasn't lobbed here yet. I think it's arrived at my parents, but I haven't gone up there to uh, pick it up. I, I get everything delivered to my parents. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, I just wanted to give a plug out to our to another Australian podcast, uh, New to Who. Uh, their episode this month will be out probably the same time as ours, but next month... If you enjoyed listening to me talk about my love for Hartnell in this podcast, well, next month I will be guesting on New to Who and we will be talking about a Hartnell story. Mm, I know which one. Uh, yes, you do, you do. But uh, I'll leave that as a surprise. That's, uh, that's New to Who's uh, announcement to make. But Yes, yes not they, for us to say. No, look, look, very, very, very uh, great of Steve and Dan to uh, invite me on. They wanted to do a Hartnell story and they decided I was the biggest fan in Australia to get, and that's very kind of them. So I really enjoyed talking about um, a Hartnell story, but Hartnell in general on their podcast. So that'll be out in a month's time. So check it out. Yeah, a wonderful podcast, which we've both been on now. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, really, really good stuff. It's it, The podcasting scene in Australia, I, I'll just wax lyrical for a moment. You know, you think of us, you think of New to Who, you think of Safe Flight Through Entirety. And we're all... We're all fans, but we're doing quite different things with the shows, you know. Uh, I think anyone out there who listens to podcasts could listen to all three of us and not feel they were, you know, sort of doubling up on, on thoughts or topics, even if we all discussed the same thing on a particular episode. I think we'd all present it in such a different way. It's, um, it's just really fun to be part of. 
Uh, yeah, and and we all we all chat. We're all sort of in communication. We've met up in, in, in when we've been able to last year. Oh, actually, earlier this year, and, yeah. and indeed, um, Forty Two to Doomsday had a surprise episode out last month. They did indeed. So if you haven't um, had your podcatcher tuned to Forty Two to Doomsday for a little while, they did drop. They dropped a little nugget, Dave. They absolutely did. And again, you talk about different tone. Well, they are a different tone. They are their own special, unique tone. Yeah, and that was a particularly fun episode, <laughs> I've got to say. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, look, we uh, we do enjoy our fellow Australian Doctor Who podcasts. And we should probably mention as well, if we talk about podcasts we like, uh, Diddly Dumb is about to release their 100th episode. So congratulations to them. Oh, gosh, yeah. It's... Uh, there's a bunch of podcasts that all started around the same sort of time and and they're all sort of ripening dave or maturing like a fine wine they are we we may mention their 100th when we've uh, listened to it hopefully in a month's time yeah that's going to be a lot of fun too excellent well we've covered a lot today but i've really enjoyed this one rob it's been very special for me yeah i'm so glad we got to do it even if it did take a year after we did dave no that's okay We, we can't rush through the doctors there are only 13 of them um, we'll have to decide what we're going to do next year, Rob. Yes, yes. Well, we can decide that. I think the next few months, Dave, are going to be a lot of uh, Series 11. Uh, people will be sick of hearing us talk about Series 11 by uh, December 31st. But during this time, I think we'll plan something special for next year. We will. We will. Well, next time you hear us, we will be talking Season 11. So get excited. Yeah, it's it's kind of wild. Now that it's actually happening, <laughs> exciting bring it on okay until then i've been rob and i've been dave we'll see you next time goodbye bye you've been listening to the doctor who show the podcast where too much doctor who is barely enough subscribe to us on itunes or listen through the website at www.thedwshow.net write to us at hello at thedwshow.net or send us a quickie on twitter at the dw show facebook.com forward slash the dw show is also a good place to find us if you're so inclined our version of the doctor who theme arranged by george Locke. look him up on youtube folks this podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only doctor who or names and sounds and any other related items are trademarks and or copyrights for the bbc all other trademarks and trade names are properties of their respective owners the official doctor who website can be found at www.bbc.co.uk forward slash Doctor Who.